Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Chad Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be doing something uh, truly unique. So what you're about to hear is uh, something called a inside circle call. So as you know, for years here at Breakthrough, we hosted a course, I believe, uh, 23 times, 23 classes. We hosted a course called Killer Marketing. And what we did in that course is we helped clinicians, primarily uh, physical therapists and physios uh, from all over the U.S., all over the world, uh, over 1,200 practice owners went through this course, uh, but we would host something as part of the course called uh, a, an inside circle implementation phone call. And what we would do on those phone calls is we would invite an outside guest in, uh, sometimes within phys- physical therapy or a related healthcare service, conservative healthcare service provider. Uh, many times they were just an outside expert. So they might be an outside expert in finance or leadership or uh, motivation, team building, etc. Anyhow, this is one of my favorite phone calls of all time from the inside circle. And we ended up doing hundreds of these. Uh, but and this is literally the one that I go to the most. Um, it, and the the guest was Danny Kerr of Breakthrough Academy. Breakthrough Academy, no relation at all to uh, Breakthrough. And what you know here that we do in terms of a breakthrough, formerly known as Breakthrough Physical Therapy Marketing, Breakthrough Academy, uh, completely a separate entity. They mainly help uh, business owners within the home improvement service industry. Uh, Danny, absolutely amazing personal story about how he became a business leader and absolutely transformed his life. Uh, We'll save that for another time. But what he talks about in here is this idea of situational leadership. And what situational leadership means, well, let me tell you what happens when it's not there. For most of us that are clinicians, we go to school, we earn a um, a degree, we get our license, uh, we we work, um, right? And we ultimately build a business. And we assume that because we have a degree on the wall, that we can just tell people what to do, delegate everything out, and uh, everything takes care of itself. And you and I know that's not how the real world works. We have to go back and understand and learn business skill. And one of those specifically is, uh, is that situational leadership. And what situational leadership does, most of us as clinicians will use, I told you so management. That's, you know, well, the receptionist isn't collecting the co-pays, why not? Well, I told her to do that. She's just not doing it, right? And the error, the mental error that we have as a manager, um, as an owner, it lies within we're not utilizing situational leadership. We're not meeting that uh, that team member, that employee, that staff member exactly where they are. And many of us have this goal uh, long term that we have, you know, we're able to delegate more and more to our growing team and leave a bigger impact in our area. However, if we don't understand the principles of situational leadership, we can quickly uh, drive our practice off a cliff and get ourselves in a lot of trouble. And I know because I've done it myself Um, and I've watched other owners do it also. So nonetheless, uh, this is again, a special episode. It was from an inside circle call uh, back in December 19th of 2017. Um, Although it's now a few years old, I think you will find the information absolutely timeless um, and it's able to withstand uh, just about any economic marketplace condition that you can imagine. And I had, once I heard Danny uh, speak about this, we implemented it immediately. And then quickly what happens is we were able to accelerate the development of our key people into better, more effective managers over time. So the the tech you know who went back to school and became the dpt and joined us as a staff pt they ascended into being a team leader and then ultimately a clinical director and a partner as well um, and a regional director over time because we understood and applied the principles of situational leadership so at this point i hope you very much enjoy this episode of the grow your practice podcast with danny kerr 
on situational leadership. Hey everybody, welcome to the inside uh, inside circle phone call. You know, this is the call every month where we interview uh, special guests, and uh, today our guest is Danny Kerr. Uh, you, for those of you that were in the mastermind dinner um, at this last boot camp, I believe it was Denver. Um, Danny did an awesome job there. Um, he has a really remarkable story, uh, some really good lows that he shared. Uh, it was really emotional and even sitting there, um, not only for him to present, but also for me, uh, I believe they're, he and his wife are expecting again. And Danny taught something uh, really, really fascinating called, uh, the tra transition curve. So, uh, presently Danny is a managing partner at Breakthrough Academy Incorporated, uh, it's a company based in uh, British Columbia, and what they do is they help um, basically home service-based businesses, uh, home service businesses, so uh, painting, drywalling, carpeting, that type of individual, and they're doing a very similar thing to what we're doing here in uh, Breakthrough Physical Therapy. Danny's an awesome guy, um, really good life stories, and um, I will see if he's on the call here. Yeah, yeah I'm here. made it. I did. A long enough introduction. <laughs> Great. So, uh, um, Danny, I, I have your slides up um, that look like documents. Um, do you want me to roll through those? And do you want to fill in on your introduction there a little bit? Maybe you should do that first. Uh, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like for me, um, Chad kind of said a little bit to kind of my, my background, but uh, yeah, just grew, grew up with with no no business actually in my life at all. My mom was uh, was a teacher, and mostly actually most of my life she was actually on welfare, and um, so I never had much mentorship in business until uh, I hit an interesting organization called College Pro Painters, which is uh, some of you might know who it is. It's or they are They're like a student organization that teaches young people how to run a business, and uh, most of it's in painting. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was monumental for me. It gave me. I'd say the foundations to really understand how to run a company, how to be confident myself, um, and how to use key systems that I think a lot of people don't understand, and how to be an entrepreneur. And I got to implement them with, with a coach. So I was coached every every two weeks, get set goals with them, given a business plan, and I had something to follow. And it really not only gave me a ton of success, but it inspired me to want to do that for others. And um, you know, Breakthrough Academy and uh, just like Breakthrough, you know, PT Marketing, I think you guys do a very similar thing where you you've figured out a model that works extremely well. And I think there's a lot of passion behind showing that and teaching that to others now. And I'm kind of doing the same. So um, young guy, I'm 31 years old, but I've, I've spent the last 10 years of my life um, coaching small businesses uh, to the point now where we've got a pretty good following of people and it's amazing success. We have about $200 million worth of revenue we manage across all of our members. And it's, um, it's neat watching them all grow and change their lives. And, you know, pulling guys out of bankruptcy and, you know, saving marriages and watching guys make real money and, and, and achieve cool success in their lives. And I think for me, it's just knowing that I get to be a part of that is um, is all I really need. When we, we do two big events a year, I bring all our members together and literally like I live for those two events. Like I just, all I want to do is see our members, see what they've been doing, get the update on where they've been at. And um, yeah, I get a lot, of, a lot of love and a lot of joy out of just leading leaders. So um, I'm not good at a lot of things. I suck at a lot of stuff. So I'm glad that I found business to be um, a place for me to kind of exist in. I'm, I'm super dyslexic, actually, and I, you know, I challenge with spelling and reading and a bunch of stuff. But uh, business is all, it's a lot of it's about people. And I think that's that's one thing that I've been able to really give to the world and, and I understand. So, yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about today, too. So it should be good. Yeah, awesome. So do you want me to <laughs> roll down through this or how do you want to do it? Um, yeah, like the, so this session is something that we drew up for our uh, members, and I think that uh, most of us don't really consider leadership to be a different thing than management, and I think as businesses grow, people don't really fully understand or know the difference between, okay, I've got somebody that I'm managing every day where they've got to go do a task, and I've got to oversee that task and make sure things get completed on time, and, you know, they fulfill the promises that, you know, they agreed to, you know, do when I signed that employment agreement with them, and that's kind of managing people, but over time, and I'm sure some of you have these people in your organization, it's it gets exhausting and tiring to be managing everybody, and over time, you probably have some people who are kind of wanting and needing to be led, and what that means is you're empowering them. You're giving them the reins. You're allowing them to take over areas of the business that maybe you used to do for years and years and years. And what I find for most people, the biggest challenge, especially as you're growing a business, is to take yourself out of the day-to-day -day and to really get out of that grassroots entrepreneurship kind of lifestyle that you started the business in and start to get to more of like an enterprise level uh, entrepreneurship wor world where you're leading people and developing people and building good systems for the company. Um, but to do that, you have to lead people versus just manage people. 
Um, and I found that for most of my career, I've really taken myself out of managing people. Like I, I was a manager of painters a long, long time ago. I managed, you know, painters to paint houses. Uh, but then a couple of years though, I was managing managers to manage those painters. And then I was eventually leading franchisees to manage, you know, you know, manage the managers to manage the painters. And so I was creating layers in the company. And um, I, I went through this program, actually. So this is something I actually went to Chicago, I think, to go learn um, about, what was it, about eight years ago or so. And it really struck a chord with me about the difference between management and leadership and really understanding how to kind of help somebody grow themselves personally and professionally and have you as a business owner benefit from that by taking yourself out of the day-to-day -day and help them give, you know, that same care and attention that you would give to that task um, as an entrepreneur. So... Um, yeah, so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Cool. So uh, quick question. Um, and I, I think I know the answer to this, uh, but it, leadership versus management. Um, do you, when you learn this and you share this and you teach it and work with your owners, um, do you perceive that uh, the decision between leadership and management is with the employee, the staff member, the team member, or is it more of a decision that we make as the owner? It's a decision. It's a personal decision. Like I, I can you know, almost lead anybody. I mean, it has to be the right hire, I guess you'd say as well. And often now I, I've changed my hiring tactics to look for someone that is ready and willing to be led. A lot of that comes down to their core values and what's important to them and their basic skill set. But you, you as a person can choose to be a manager of people. You can choose to be a leader of people or anywhere in between or be a nothing, nothing of people and just a delegator and hoping that everybody does their job and they never do and you get frustrated with them. So um, I hear from a lot of people, you know, it's like herding cats or I feel like a professional babysitter or I hear all this kind of stuff and, and it tells me right away like you're, you're in the world of managing you know, people all day. And that can be a very exhausting thing to do. Um, and I'll, we'll talk a bit about situational leadership today, but how do you really step away from being that cat herder to being a manager of great people that, that can take the reins and, and run with it themselves? So there's a bit of a process to it. And I'll say this, it does take a lot more work up front, but the long-term benefits are huge. Great. So, Let's get yeah. rolling. Cool. So um, yeah, if you want to keep going down the next slide, you can, uh, we can talk a bit about what is situational leadership. So the, the, the key idea behind all of this is, is people really going and realizing that everyone they work with has a different skill or commitment in things that they're doing. So ultimately for a lot of people that just get started working with you, they probably have a lot of commitment to the, to, to what they, they want to impress you. Basically they're like, I'm new to this role. I want to, I want to show I'm the best and they'll show up early and they'll do whatever it takes to, to prove that they're really good, but they have probably little, very low skill, right? Cause they're new to the role. They don't know much. And you'll notice over time as people change in either skill or commitments, you know, and, I, and whenever I, people have problems with employees, the first thing I'll always ask somebody, is it skill or is it commitment? Because if it's skill, it's something you want to take time training them, develop them over time. If it's commitment, it's something you might want to resolve over, you know, a coffee or a beer where you can have a good conversation about where they're at with things and helping them through stuff. And situational leadership is understanding how those two things play together because people are developed, can be developed in different stages over time. And you need to kind of know where they're at, I guess you'd say. And depending on where they're at in their development stage, you need to match that with the right leadership function or the right leadership style, I guess you'd say. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So, um, yeah, does that make sense? Any thoughts on that or comments on that, Chad? Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm all for it and I'm in the middle of, of like a deep dive into leadership right now. So this is great. It, it, personally for me, I feel a little bit selfish <laughs> doing this, but, uh, yeah, the, um, I have to get the, the article to you, but, um, I just read one on the six types of leadership and it, it very much said the same thing. Like there's three that, as a leader, you have to be aware of the situation, where the person is at, and you know sometimes we have to um, cut all ties and do this, you know, hostile takeover. Um, but that that's not appropriate long term for many situations. And there's many people managing that way, where they're just shouting and yelling and telling everybody what to do. But that's a type of leadership that can work in a very small niche situation. Um, but the, the other types of leadership, just going through it, um, I'm all for it. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in learning more and what you have to uh, say about leadership here, Dan. Cool. Yeah. So, so going, zooming into what we were just talking about, um, essentially there's two types of kind of leading people that, that you'll do over time. And one is high direction, right? So, you know, you tell me, Chad, but when, when does somebody need the most direction, uh, when they're starting with you or when they're working with you, when does somebody need the highest of direction of things? Uh, usually when, when you start. 
usually when they start or when they're starting a new task or a new initiative or a new part of their job, right? So you might hire somebody who's worked for you, I'm sorry, promote somebody who's worked for you for many years and they're taking on a new task. And so the one the thing I want you guys to think about with this is it's not so much just about the person, it's actually about the task that you're giving the person. So if you've got, this is a good example, so if you've got a really good um, so physiotherapist and they're amazing at, at, at their job of being a physiotherapist, caring for the customer, all that kind of stuff, and they've done such a good job over so long that you're now going to put them into maybe a, a manager of other physiotherapists, let's say. Well, there's a new skill being introduced now. The managing of those other physiotherapists, being a bit of a leader. And so you have to be high directive or high direction with them over the course of time, helping them understand how to be a leader. But you can be more supportive and more delegative with them on the things that they already know really well, which is which is being being the technician, being the, the professional as a physiotherapist. So what you want to, want to be doing is just thinking through, do I need to be giving a high level of like directive to this person? Or should I be more supportive and just kind of letting them find and discover their own answers? So um, these are the two types of leaderships that we're going to play with and we're going to balance them out as to over time people go from high direction to more support and all the way into like delegation, which we'll talk about in a bit. So those are the two main types. Um, <clears throat> so how do you diagnose this? So we were talking about someone's uh, skill and commitment. So basically it's phrased actually slightly differently here, but co uh, competence and commitment is basically what it comes down to. So you have to be able to gauge and understand what is someone's kind of motivation and confidence behind what they're doing. And then the other side of the coin, what is their actual like knowledge and skill level of what they're actually doing? Because it's really easy to just, you know, try and train somebody over and over and over again and see that they're not getting it and just be like, they must be stupid, lazy or unmotivated. I hear that a lot from people like I've tried everything with this person and they just ignore me. They slough it off. They say that they get it really quickly, but they don't ask any questions. And I'm super frustrated. And this person must be stupid, lazy or unmotivated. And a lot of it is their their commitment. Um, so if they're lacking in, like you've done a lot of training with them, but they're lacking in understanding things, they might be their motivation or confidence. And uh, there's a lot of different things you should be doing that don't involve training, but involve more support, giving more supportive behavior to help them through that. Now on the flip side, you might be working with people where you know you uh, bring them into a role, they had an amazing resume, they looked awesome, and you're like, great, then you should know your job, right? Just go do it, because I'm super busy, and I'm working you know, 60 hours a week already you know, doing my job, so you can do your job now too, right? Go, do it. Why are you not doing it? Why are you sucking? Why is this not working? And there's a lot of work that goes into bringing somebody on board where you understand their competence in each area of what they're good at and what they're not. And they might be really good at certain things, but they might not be at others, and you might have assumed that they were just because their resume looked so good in that one thing. Right? So it's very important to understand their competence or their knowledge and skill level in all areas of what you're going to hold them accountable to in their job. And really what I used to do, and it's not actually in this slide, but I used to do something called Deregi. So a good way to kind of transfer knowledge or skill is something that, uh, it's a little acronym, but it stands for to demonstrate, observe, redemonstrate, assign a task, and set a goal. And what that Deregi kind of means is that's a training style. That's something where you say, okay, does this person know how to, you know, meet a client? Does this person know how to diagnose a client? Does this person know how to, you know, build, build the appointment at the end? Like all the little things that go into this person's job, do they know how to do it? Well, how do you know? What's the best way to know? Have them show you, go through it with them, never assume, right? So competence or, or, or trying to display um, someone's knowledge or understand someone's knowledge or skill is usually best understood when you can do this thing called Deregi. So you can demonstrate a task or a skill to somebody. You can observe them do it. You can re-demonstrate it so that you can basically re-demonstrate with some feedback saying, here's what I saw you do and here's some things you can improve on. Then you can assign a task. So here's one thing I'd like you to do for an hour or for the rest of today. Set a goal on it. So do it within these parameters and then inspect it when you're done. So at the end of the day, I'll come and see how you did. So a very, very simple example of this is the first time I ever learned this is I was given Deregi when I was learning how to paint, right? So I had somebody literally say, okay, Danny, here's how you roll a wall. You do a W pattern and then you back, back, you know, back roll it. And then from there you check for mistakes before you, and you know, move on and then move to the next area of the wall. So they demonstrated it. They observed me do, the, do it. They re-demonstrated it with feedback. Then they set a goal saying, hey, paint this whole side of the wall in one hour or whatever it is. And then they came back, inspected the wall. And slowly I learned how to roll a wall. Then we went into how to, you know, cut a window with a brush. Then we went into how to caulk the window with, with caulking. Then we went into how to scrape another side of the house and how to sand it down. And so every little task was shown to me through Deregi. And what you might almost want to be doing to really understand someone's competence, knowledge, or skill 
is to look at their job description, look at all the things that you're gonna hold them accountable to, and can you set up an environment where you can actually drag each thing with that, each, each little idea with that person? Because at the end of that day that you do that with somebody, you're gonna know if, it's, if they're high or low in that skill. And that'll give you a starting point to train that person from there forward. Awesome. So again, commitment, it's all about motivation and confidence. It's about someone's like, do they care about your brand? Do they care about who you are, the business? Are they, are they bought in? And competence is more about, do they even understand how to do the baseline skills on all levels? And where are they strong and where are they weak? Some things are gonna be different and some things are gonna create you know, the same person, but you're gonna create a different style of leadership for them in different areas. So, cool. Awesome. So um, there's different stages that somebody goes through. And basically it all starts uh, when somebody is like basically starting out with you, often they're high commitment and low to some skill or sort of low skill in what they're doing. So this isn't always for everything, but you're gonna notice that any new employee and working with you at all always has something that they're like really good at, something maybe they're not good at at all, and it's your job to go discover what that is. Because in the beginning, in the first say week to a couple months that they're gonna be working with you, they're gonna be super high commitment. And I'm sure a lot of us notice this with people where they're just like, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to impress you and prove to you that I'm, I am who I said I am, right? Because they wanna keep their job, they're, they're new and they're excited about this position. And now is your opportunity to go investigate, okay, what is this person kind of like great at and what are they not great at? Because the things that they're not great at, I wanna, I wanna lead them in a certain way. So that's the stage one. So development style, um, where they're high in commitment, but you know, slow, you know, low in skill, basically. Development style two, so this might be a month in or two months in, they're variable in their commitment. So why would people become, and maybe Chad, if you can explain some stories or tell some stories, but why would people become less committed to the brand after three months? Well, I, I think one thing that happens is they now realize what they don't know, or they realize that uh, they're incompetent in some areas where when they were coming in, they kind of, um, they were dreamy about how great everything was going to be. And now they're actually seeing that, hey, this person shows up late. This person's reading People magazine when they should be answering phones. Like those things are happening. So um, now they have uh, a little more knowledge. And they know, again, they know what they don't know. That's kind of how I think about it. It's true. That's actually a really good way to put it. They start in what I call uninformed optimism. They're like, and this is what my talk was actually when I was with you guys in the, uh, uh, that conference in Colorado, but they start very, like you said, dreamy. They're like, what, this is going to be great. Like I'm getting paid better. I'm you know, moving to a role that's going to challenge me. I'm super excited to learn. And three months in, they're like, man, I really don't know anything and I'm lost and I'm confused. And two things are happening. Either they're like kind of frustrated with themselves that they're not good enough. Or they're a little frustrated with you because you may have promised th things or said things in the interview or didn't set maybe the right expectations in the interview. And now they're feeling a little wrong. Maybe they're working more than they thought they would be. Maybe they're not you know, making as much money as they thought they would be. Maybe they're taking on tasks that were never discussed in the original interview or in the original onboarding of somebody. So their commitment might not be as high as it was when they first started. Um, but the nice thing is, and the interesting thing is, is they are actually starting to get a little more skilled. They might not fully realize it because there's so much more for them to learn moving forward, but the stuff that they originally started with, you know, in their first week, they now actually kind of know. So they're overwhelmed. They're a little bit shaky, but they do have some skill and they're starting to learn some stuff. And for you, there's, there's a certain, we'll talk about in a second here, but there's a certain leadership style that you can do with that type of person that would be different than you do with somebody who's just started. Okay, so that's kind of stage two. And then from there, you get into stage three, where again, their, their commitment is still variable. They're not sure how, how good they are at their job yet. They're, they're reliant on you a lot. And so they're asking you a lot of questions before they go and complete something. But you as a leader kind of know they're pretty good at it, but they're just, they're, they're like self-confidence isn't quite there yet. And, and Chad, maybe I don't know if you want to tell, tell any stories, but where you've seen this, somebody that's worked with you maybe for six months to a year, they're pretty good at what they do, but they just, they, they're so used to coming to you all the time, they keep coming to you with the same questions, um, even though they kind of know the answer. Have any stories on that? Yeah, so, it, and <laughs> I, I can tell you what I used to do, which is just keep feeding into that. And almost, mm -hmm. uh, and like looking back now and knowing what I know now, just what I really was doing is disempowering that individual. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I can remember um, we, we had a receptionist who my first receptionist that I ever hired, Debbie, uh, had worked as a receptionist probably for 30 years in her life. She had a lot of time in answering phones. And I remember uh, she was struggling with a patient and didn't know what to say. And 
I literally just said, and this is like right when I opened, so like 14 years ago, hey, just hand me the phone. And I, I, I did the call, not not good. So yeah, that, that, that was a bad example of uh, management and without leadership. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it is a good example of what we default to, right? Yeah. When, when we're busy, sometimes this is the hardest thing to do is to slow down and empower people and take time to say, no, actually you do know this and, and let's talk about this. And what, what, what would you do in this situation? Right. And we'll talk about the style of leadership, but it's a lot more of empowering others and not taking over yourself. Um, especially when you're busy, it's easy to just take over yourself and be like, I'll do it. But what does that lead to being more busy and never having time to build the company in and of itself? And I think that um, for a lot of leaders, unless they're told otherwise, it feels natural for them. They're like, well, no, this is the right thing to do. Like, I have to take care of the customer. We've got to make profit by the end of the month. Like, I got to do this. Um, but what it's doing is long term, it's taking away from your ability to ever pull yourself out of the day to day. And people get kind of pacified by you. They're just like, they're, they're, they're used to that little, you know, sucky that you give them and they don't want to ever leave it. And they're just like, please let me ask you questions and be around for everything. And if you're not, you know, I don't feel safe anymore. But the truth is they probably know the answer to a lot of this stuff. They're just used to asking you and you've allowed that to happen. So development stage three, there's, there's a bit of a, a tearing away from that. And then we'll talk about how to do that. But there's a bit of a process where you're going to help them empower themselves. Danny, and then development, the, go ahead. For, yeah. For those on the call, the thing that I'll hear most often when I'm um, talking or working with an owner or group of owners about this, and this is what I did, th this is what I was guilty of myself is I told you, I told you so management, like I, I told you, therefore you should have it. And that creates a really dangerous situation that goes against everything that Jim Collins ever wrote about or Patrick Lencioni or anybody else who has studied uh, management and leadership. Um, but yeah, that I told you so management, we have a lot of owners maybe even someone that's called that are, are still operating that way in all situations. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you're first learning how to lead somebody, um, you assume that they must know everything you know, but what you forget is that you've spent how many years learning and developing and, and committing to what you do and under what circumstances as an entrepreneur versus an employee. And I think for a lot of people, it's, it's a little bit of a gap to sit down and realize that a lot of what some of the people you're hiring need to learn are things that you've kind of almost forgot actually because it's so far past from when you started the business, from when you first took over that task, and you assume it must be super easy. You know, one thing I'll, I'll kind of, I'll throw my business partner Igor under the bus a little bit. We always make fun of him, but he's always just like, oh yeah, do that. It'll be like five minutes. Like, why is that such a big deal? It's like five seconds. Like, what do we like? That's like a minute. Like, what do we, and it's like an hour of work. It's like quite a bit of like involvement, but he just like skims over it as if it's easy to do. And, and I think for him, like he could probably do it in 10 minutes or so but he just doesn't realize the time and the effort and the thought that has to go into, you know, somebody who's just learning it for the first time. Right. So cool. um, just to be kind to our people and, and really like take the time to develop in them because, and they will, they will rise to the challenge over time, but we have to start with them somewhere. Cause if we leave them in the dust, they'll never rise up. They'll just, they'll always feel incompetent. So um, yeah. So that's kind of stage three and then stage four, this is the one that really takes for you guys. Um, I guess you'd say a lot of gonads to be able to like give something to somebody and completely. So my marketing manager has been with me since June and there's a lot of important things that she deals with, things that are, you know, $100,000 decisions. And I'm now at a point with her and it's pretty early actually in her career, but she's proven it to me pretty, pretty fast actually at this level. And I'm pretty busy. I give her complete rights to make those decisions. So she comes to me sometimes and she'll say like, you know, with, with this, uh, you know, GAF deal, we're thinking of flying you to this place and then this conference and then this conference, what do you think you know, we should go to? And I'm like, you know what, I totally entrust you to take my time, take all these flights, take this next year of, of, of our you know, speaking plan and let you do what you think is best. Call, call me when you have little questions, but I, I trust that you have, you know, the best skill and intentions and ability in mind to go for it. And she told me in our, you know, employee review we did um, last week, she's like, that empowered me so much. Like, that's what, that's the environment I needed to work in. Thank you for that. Because most people snuff me out and then I guess could just get complacent. And giving her that leadership and sort of that freedom to kind of be her and do things her way at that stage in her development was perfect for her. Now, had I done that super early, she would have been frustrated. Had I done, never done that, she would have been frustrated. There's a certain time when people need to be kind of set free and 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 given like given the reins basically to to rock and roll, and that's when you can really step away and and you don't have to own it anymore and have somebody else really own it and have fun with that too. But it takes it takes some guts, especially when it's something that you will either hold near and dear or you've done for ten years, and and letting go of it makes you feel in, you know incompetent or I guess unsure of yourself. Um, but over time people should be given complete control or, or relative complete control over things so that you can step away and focus on other parts of the company, more important parts of the company. So, 
those are the different leadership styles. Um, so or those are the different development styles. And if we go down to the leadership styles, these will kind of, and we'll maybe we'll flip back and forth between them, but these will kind of match up to each stage of that someone's in their, their development. Um, Chad, do you, uh, is it frozen on my end or is it? I'm on slides uh, halfway? Matching Whatever. the appropriate leadership style. Perfect, yeah. Let's bring it down a little more. I just can't see it for some reason. Um, it's coming up it's just halfway through the two slides. There we go. I think it's just slowed down. So this is kind of what it looks like. So uh, in development stage one, where somebody's just starting in their role, they're high in commitment, but they're low in skill. It's pretty obvious. You need to give them a lot of direction, right? Do this. This is how you do it. This is how it looks. This is how we, you know, this is how it all works. And I think for a lot of us, especially if we really care about the people we work with, we do this probably quite well. I think naturally when somebody's brand new, as long as you have some time to spend with them, you spend a lot of time doing high, high, high direction. But what I will say is a lot of people go from high direction to great, now that I've shown you everything, see ya, bye. And then they go straight to delegation, right? They kind of skip a few few stages. And this is, this, this you know, four-step leadership style is really kind of the, the bread and butter of what we're gonna talk about today. Um, so you start in direction, right? So somebody doesn't know much, they're, they're loyal and committed to, to learning, take 10 hours a week to train them. Take a decent amount of time. And spend time writing up what they need to learn first. You know, I usually go through someone's job description. And in that job description, I see all the different tasks that they're going to be responsible for. And then I go to another piece of paper and I write up all the, the ways in which I'm going to hold them accountable to each task. So I'm going to say, okay, you need to learn how to set up a job site. You need to lay out the drop sheets. You need to put out signs. You need to, um, you know, inspect the area. You need to park the vehicle in an appropriate location. You need to, and I put down all the detail in another sheet of paper that I'm then going to use to train that person later on. And so these are things like standard operating procedures or employee checklists and handbooks for people to learn from so that I'm going to teach them, but I'm also going to give them some reference material to know exactly how to do their job. And the higher level of direction that I can give early on, the more loyal and committed I can make them and the more confident I can make them in their job versus being super vague, having it all in my head, telling them a whole bunch of stuff really fast because I'm super busy and then jetting off to go do something else and leaving them in the dust. That's not high direction right? High direction is taking the time and the foresight to build a training program for that person in their individual role, and then slowly taking, I'd say 10 hours a week, especially in the beginning, to individually train that person into, the, into their job and help them really understand everything that they're learning. And using things like I spoke about earlier, so Draghi, so demonstrating the task, observing them do it, redemonstrate the task, assign a, ta uh, assign a goal, um, and inspect at the end. That kind of makes sense. So high direction. So high direction is a good match for people that are in development stage one, starting out with you in something new. Coaching. <clears throat> Actually, any, anything on direction um, or stories even, Chad? You would, anything you'd comment on that? No, I, it just other than, uh, yeah, we, I'm, I'm trying to think how we incorporate this. I'm, I'm critiquing what we do here at uh, Madden PT in our bricks and mortar business. Um, with direction um yeah i mean we just have a ton of training videos as reference points and when they come in like spe specifically for our physios or our pts they're observing another therapist um and we have found that that is almost the best direction that we can is they're they're learning it by seeing it live um so we do that for um, usually it's 60 days up to 90 days where they're observing and then, and then they ramp up through the other, the other four stages, the other three. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Hey, and that's, even, I mean, we didn't have to get five for Scott. Hold on one second. I mean, I was just yeah. Trying to get yeah. 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 We don't have, I mean, since he's only been here a few months. Let me figure out who that is. Uh, <laughs> we each have to review five, but they don't have to be five of Scott's. Oh, I, I thought we were, I was, uh, Shelly, we can hear you. But since he just started. Oh, there she is. Shep. I got it. <laughs> All good. Okay. Um, cool. So we're going to stage two now. So as people evolve a little bit, um, next stage is coaching. So what does that look like? Well, you're still going to be training them. You're still going to have them shed, like, you know, Chad said, you still have them shadow people, people, people in the business that know what they're, they're, you know, they're doing, that they're about to take over that kind of a job. But you want to basically help them understand the why behind things and what, what's going on. So, you know, if they're learning how to, you know, diagnose, um, 
uh, a, a client. And I'm going to make a few things up here because Chad, I don't know your industry extremely well, but tell me if I'm right or wrong in this. If they're going to diagnose a client, there might be a certain way that you might want to go about doing it. Certain questions you might want to be asking. Certain ways to even articulate to the client how they're, you know, how they're managing or how how they can manage what what the problem actually is. And they might not want to be super direct or super harsh or super assumptive because there's certain reasons why the client would feel, you know, bombarded or insecure or unsure of the knowledge that they're receiving. So there's certain ways at which you might want to articulate that to the client. And so it's not just about showing them what to say and what questions to ask. It's about also involving them in why those things are important. You know, we're trying to give a certain experience to our clientele. We're trying to help them buy into the fact that, that they need this stuff. And if we give them too much information too fast, or if we give it to them too directly, they might get defensive or stressed or scared, and we might leave them not with a good result at the end of that, that, that session. So not only telling them what to do, which is the like, ask these questions and do these things, it's also starting to involve them in the why these things are important. And this will help people go from being kind of like I call like bean, bean counter syndrome of like, I do this because you told me to, and then I do this because you told me to, and then I do this because I told you to, but they never see the big picture. And this will help them see a little more of the bigger picture and start to be a bit more problem solvers and understanding kind of when they understand the why they can make more intuitive decisions based on different circumstances and not be constantly just like, well, you told me to do this in one, this one circumstance. So I did it again. And you're like, no, no, every circumstance is a little different. And what the more you understand the why behind things, it'll help you make more informed decisions. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um, our one of the key things that we teach is uh, at boot camp. Uh, usually, every Saturday morning is uh, that's our workshop day, and I do a workshop. So I do the directive, like here's how I do a workshop on one half of the stage, and then to give the reason why, I walk to the my right, their left half of the stage as well, and share this is why we're doing this, just to help them think through it for the exact uh, reasons that you're talking about. Awesome. Cool. So that's, and that's, that'll help build somebody over time. That'll help them, that'll help them with their, their confidence and commitment. That'll also help them in their skill and being less of like a doer of one thing all the time, but more of like an, a person that can understand the bigger picture. So that's kind of coaching. <clears throat> and then over time, because they're used to it, because you've been working with them on all this stuff, they're going to be pretty used to coming to you with lots of questions. Right. So over time, they're going to be quite skilled at what they do. They're going to be, let's say we're six months to even a year into their role and they've kind of got it pretty dialed, but they're starting to ask you a lot of questions. And so they're like, hey, what about what do we do when this happens? What do we do when this happens? How about uh, what about this one? What about this, this scenario? And in the back of your mind, if you're starting to be like, we've gone through this, we've talked about this, they're actually they, they usually know how to do this. I don't know why they're asking me this. It's usually because their confidence is low, but their skill is high. And that's pretty normal and that's pretty natural for somebody who's pretty used to getting a lot of answers from you as they went through the training process. It's funny, even I was training one of my sales guys, Benji, this, uh, this last fall, and I told him about this whole leadership style when we started working with him because I wanted him to be aware of the day that I was going to kind of cut him loose a little bit and, uh, and just be like, yeah, man, like you're going to need high direction in the beginning. I'm going to give it to you. And then you're going to need to know why these things all happen the way they happen. And then you're going to kind of come to me with lots of questions and I'm just going to help you think through them and I'm not going to give you as many answers. And then finally, I'm going to delegate and let you take it. And so it's nice, like he knew that was going to happen before we even started all of this. So when we got to like the supporting phase where he came to me with lots of, I would call silly questions that I knew he kind of knew, I would just ask him, I don't know, man, like what would you do in that circumstance? And I turned it around on him and made him answer his own question. And that got him realizing he really actually did know more than he thought he knew. You know, and he took, I remember we, I did this with him for a full week and then he had the weekend to kind of like just go do his own thing with his family. I think it was Thanksgiving weekend. And he came back and he's like, Danny, it's so funny. Like, I know so much compared to when I started with you. And I never even realized that. I've been so busy just learning the next thing, learning the next thing. I never even reflected on all the things that I know now versus the first day I started with you. He's like, when I first started with you, I was scared out of my mind because I was like, do these guys know that I don't know anything? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, we knew we had to train you to a certain point. And now you've, you've within you know four months, learned a ton. And you're asking me a lot of questions that I think you know the answer to, but I think you just don't want to make a mistake. So you're asking me all the time. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with you learning and doing things that you know don't always involve me because I, I know you have a ton already inside of you that you can offer, and I believe in you. And if you make a few mistakes along the way, I'm okay with that too. You know, it's not the end of the world. I think we learn a lot from the mistakes we make. So yeah, come to me with questions once in a while, but I'm gonna keep you know turning it around on you, and I'm gonna keep saying what would you do in that circumstance. So I'll be more of a sounding board for you at this point. And he saw it. He saw the shift, and that's when I became. It's a really good word for it, but I became a sounding board for him. 
and I was less of a teller of what to do. I was less trying to explain why things are important, but I was just listening to him, listening to what was going on, and then helping him sound be a sounding board off of me for what he should do about it and being less of the director of all answers. And this is hard for a lot of us to do, especially if we like to maintain control. We want to just be like, just do it this way. Like, it's easy, like, done, right? But like, you have to slow down. And even though you know, you know the answer, ask questions that will help them find the answer themselves. And that'll empower them over the time. So this is a, this is a place where someone's got high skill, but like variable to some commitment, where they're, or they're, 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 they're still not super confident yet about where they're at. Um, Chad, any stories on that or thoughts on that? Uh, th I, I just read this book by uh, oh Michael Stainer, I think. Uh, it's called The Coaching Habit. It, it should be renamed The Supporting Habit <laughs> because that's really what it's, what it's about. Um, but it, it's a series of seven questions or variations of that that ultimately help the, the person coming to you. And the, the example you just used, uh, Benji, right? Yep. Um, it, it would help. You know, Benji, it, it would empower Benji to realize what uh, what he knew and that he did know a lot more than what he thought he knew. So, yeah, uh, that's about the 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 first and only thought that I had on that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's good. And then finally, over a course of period of time of doing that, two things are going to happen. One, they're going to start to prove to you that they really do know the answer because you're going to constantly ask, like, what would you do in this circumstance? And they're going to answer like the right answer over and over and over again. And you're going to say, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's, you're exactly right. And their confidence is going to go up. Their skill is already kind of up. And now you've got somebody at high skill and high commitment. And when that starts to happen, I think two things will happen. One, you will feel more confident to delegate and let go of things. And two, they will feel great and okay to take it on. And I'll go back to Benji as a good example, but you know, starting in pretty much the beginning of this month now, so it's only been a few weeks now, I've completely just delegated things to him. So he takes on the you know majority of our sales now. So anyone who's coming in to learn about Breakthrough Academy, majority of them go through Benji now. Um, I always tell my team always to fill his schedule first, not mine. And um, he's hitting our goals. He's hitting our company goals. He's taking it and running with it. Um, you know, I talked to him the other day. Uh, we had a you know a lot of the team's pretty exhausted. We've had a lot of long fall trying to hit our year-end goals, and um, everyone's kind of like, oh, I can't wait for Christmas and. Anyways, they're a little frustrated and overwhelmed. And so I'm talking to all of them, trying to help them through, you know, I'm supporting all of them actually. And I called Benji. I'm like, how are you doing? He's like, dude, I don't want to be a problem for you. Like I got this dialed, like just leave it on me. I got this. Like, and he was just like, he just took, he took the, the weight on his own shoulders and, and is ready to rock with it. And it's a pretty relieving feeling. It's a pretty neat feeling. You know, I've got a, a couple of people on the team where I really do. I want to support them still. I want to make sure they feel confident where they're at. They've got high skill, but their confidence has been shaken because they missed some of their goals. So I'm kind of back to supporting them. I was at delegating. I went back to supporting some of them, which is okay to do. Um, but I called Benji and he's just like, I'm ready to be delegated to, man. Just, just keep throwing it on me. I'll take the, I'll take the brunt of the load. You go take care of the team. And what an amazing feeling that was, you know? Nice. So, um, you know, he's a rock star. He's been with us only since August, um, fairly new in his role, but a couple of things, you know, right hire, um, right coaching styles at the right time with him. And I really did invest in him. Like I really, I put about 10 hours a week, maybe even 20 hours a week into helping him through his role for the first you know, few months. And it's really paying off in dividends now because it's only December. I mean, we're going to go into January now. And we're going to have many, many years with him, five years plus probably. And he can take it now, that part of his role. So what I will say about all of this <clears throat> is now that he's at that stage, we're actually going to be moving him into a speaking role. So he's going to start to speak and start to travel a bit more and learn how to be a speaker. So guess what stage I got to start him at when it comes to that stuff? Number one. one, yeah, high direction, right? So um, leadership styles aren't just pertaining to a specific person, but they're pertaining to the role or the responsibilities that that person's taking on and knowing where to be at different areas for this person, depending on where they're at in, in their development style. And then I'll match that with the right leadership stage. And so Benji will go back to direction with me and then we'll go to coaching and then we'll go to supporting and then I'll delegate speaking to him. And I'll take four to six to even a year, six months to even a year to do that. And I've seen it time and time again that when you take the time to go through these styles with people as they're learning something new, you'll watch as dividends pay out long term. But short term, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, um, a, lot of, a lot of your personal time and brain space outside of what you maybe feel you should be doing, the more urgent, important items. This is more something that's extremely important, important but less urgent. But long term, this is how you build a team. And now I can just lead my team. You know, I, I do a goal setting meeting with them on Mondays. Um, I set them all up for the week and then they go delegate or they go execute all week. And I might talk to them here and there on the phone, but nothing crazy. And they've all got their goals. They're trying to execute for their year end. And you know, you've done a really good job 
when they're coming to you angry because you know you're getting in their way or you're holding them back in some way and they're trying to push forward faster than you can even you know, handle so it's ni always nice to have that come that way at you versus you trying to bark orders at them for to get them going more right and uh and this is the idea and the the i guess the benefit of taking the time to be a situational leader so yeah this is great man it, this is uh <laughs> So much better than that Harvard Business <laughs> article that I read on leadership. This is great. Um, so a couple, uh, just to do a little um, housework here. Um, the, the people are asking if you can share your slides. Do we have your permission to share? The yep. slides? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. And then, um, so normally what we do is in the second half of the call here, um, we open this up. If anybody has any questions. Um, you can type it in the chat log. Uh, let's see if there's anything direct. Uh, yep, looks like everybody did a lot of uh, solving their stuff. Great. So we'll just keep cool. rolling here. If you have a question, um... type it in the chat box for everybody on the call. I was going to say there's um, a PDF that you can send as well that I think I sent you guys that really talks through in a write-up. I think it's a, how big is this PDF? A five-page PDF that talks through everything that I've just spoken to, so in detail. And in the slides below, if you scroll down, Chad, you'll see what I just, I kind of jumped the gun here a little bit, but you'll see each style, um, leadership style, kind of explained at, at higher detail. So it'll go through kind of like direction, you know, what to be aware of, how to do it, and, and some and some pointers to kind of get started on it. So. Um, Awesome. It's basically what we kind of talked about, but um, essentially when they're in stage one, where they're in high commitment, low skill, what do you do? And how exactly do you do it with examples for each stage? Very cool. So we have a question came in from Shirley. Um, what's the self-talk that you're doing when uh, to, to say, stop yourself from jumping in and getting it done? So you know how you, uh, you, you were talking about that, where we have that... I, I get or Igor said I can just do it in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I, I'll just take care of it myself. How do you st how do you have the discipline, the stoicism to stop yourself from doing that? Mm hmm. The discipline, yeah. Well, I think it starts with awareness. I mean, it starts with I think doing this once really well with somebody that comes into your team, and then buying into this mentally. Um, I wouldn't try and change your leadership style for all people all at once at the end of this 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 webinar. I would do it with one person. That would make a good like example or subject, I guess you'd say, that you can kind of treat as a bit of an experiment. And just continue doing all your other management stuff with everybody else, no different. Don't make it too complicated for yourself. Just do it with one person and watch as the results come. And when you get results from this, your mind will buy into this. Like you might feel like, oh, I really should just do it, but you'll be like, man, I just did it with with, with Susie and it works so bloody well. And so you'll buy into it and you'll remind yourself a little more. Um, sometimes it is a bit of a reminder thing too. Like I know when I first started doing this, my default was just to jump in. I'm a doer. So like my, my default is just to jump in and do stuff myself. Um, so I have that same issue. And I think for the first time I did it, um, I really had to focus on doing it with just one person. And after that, I got a little better at it. Not, not incredibly though. Like I'd still catch myself taking stuff over from people. And sometimes I literally like, here's an interesting thing. I'd show everybody that I'm doing this with. I'd show them this. So I was like, just so you know, we're going to do this. And if I'm if I'm out, out out of my step here, and you're feeling like I'm not leading you in the right you know style, let me know. I'm open to that feedback, and it helped hold me accountable to making sure I was following you know suit when I was first learning this. Um, but yeah, a couple couple of advice would just do it once with one person to make it simple. Let your team know that you're doing this and get make them aware of this so that they can kind of like be a part of the process with you. And um, and yeah, it's okay to screw up. You're not going to do it perfectly all at once. Um, just take time over the next couple of years to to implement this idea and you'll find your mind will buy into it more and more. Like my default now is this style. Like I don't panic and want to take over. Uh, but it, never, it wasn't like that eight years ago. Cool, man. Uh, lots of other questions coming in here. A couple really good ones. Stuart is on, Stuart's on a phone call. Stuart, I cannot unmute you. Um, the question is for, for those of us just starting, how much sacrifice do we need to take away from out of the core biz to coach? Mm hmm. It's a good question for it depends where you're at in business. So when you're when you're in startup mode, I would say like 80% of your day to day should be committed to just that the day to day, like 
taking care of clients, bringing in more clients, like focused on the business, you know, going, moving. Um, the other 20% should be spent on building good systems, reflecting on where the business is actually at. So you know how to make good decisions. And, and the other probably 10% after that, you know, maybe 10% on that and the other 10% on leading your team and developing people. Um, over time, that almost switches. Like you start to get to a point, say five to 10 years into your practice where 80% of your time is actually spent on leading good people and building good systems. And you're no longer involved in the day-to-day. -day. That might be 20% of your day. And there's a transition period that will happen organically over 10 years where you're slowly going to be want to be stepping away more and more and more. And it's not an overnight thing. If you, all you did was hire 10 staff and train them all overnight and, and just hope that they all took care of the business and took, took everything off of your plate, you might go bankrupt before you see the results, right? So you need to do it slowly over time. I would spend for now, if you're right in startup mode, I'd spend 10% 10, 10 of your week building into your team. If you're quite established and you've got enough time to step away from the day-to-day, I would make it a large part of what you do. Um, ultimately, the end result of you running an organization is that you're doing just that. You're running the organization. You're turning one big you know, crank while all the other cogs are turning off of that one crank. And you should be that only that one crank. You shouldn't be all the other cogs. You shouldn't be duct taping one of them every Tuesday. You shouldn't be you know, adding super glue to one that you know, br br breaks, breaks every month. Like You should allow each cog to be refined. These are cogs are your, are your people, basically, um, to be refined and fully operating in their, doing their job so that you can turn your one crank and let everything go from there. But it takes years to build that and, um, and allow it to be 10% of your week for now. And as you grow into more of an individual leadership role for the, with each person, it can be 80% of your week. And all you're doing, all, all I did, my... I think the third year as a general manager for College Pro Painters was do goal setting and review with my staff on Mondays and Tuesdays. So I just set goals with them on Mondays and Tuesdays. I spent Wednesdays and Thursdays uh, going in the field and training them. So I'd do different training events with them on different skills that they were trying to learn. And then I would spend my Fridays just reflecting on the business, where we're at, where our goals are at, and looking at our numbers and getting ready for next week. That was it. That was my week, Monday to Friday. Um, so that's an example of me being completely out of the day-to-day -day and just delegating and leading a team that takes care of everything. And that's kind of like the end result I would recommend for people after the, uh, years of doing this. But in the beginning, it could just be, you know what, on Mondays we do a training event or we do something with 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 the team to kind of get, you know, one person kind of trained and maybe I'll do that again on a Friday or not. The rest of the week is just me taking care of the day-to-day. -day. So Cool. So there's a follow-up from Stuart and uh, I'll it, it's therapy-related, so... Yep. I'll, I'll help translate it to, to PT and physio here, Danny. But um, Stuart said, I find that very difficult for all my repeat clients are here and looking, they're all looking for me. So this would be mm -hmm. the equivalent, like if you were back um, yeah. painting, everybody wants you to paint because Mary knows you or best. plays bridge with your mom or whatever it is. And she only wants you to paint. <laughs> so um, it, here's the, the evolution of the stages that I went through. And they're oddly, they're very similar to this. Um, but in the beginning, I, I would just do whenever patients wanted to come in. Like I had no set schedule. So I ended up, I remember one week I had treated for 78 hours and we had a newborn at home. By the way, did you have your, your April, April, oh, I'm expecting I, uh, April. She's okay. actually finally showing. So she's like four or five months pregnant now and she's just starting to show. So <laughs> I wasn't sure we were having a kid for a while. I was like, are you sure there's something in there? That's right. But April. Cool. Yeah. Congratulations to you again. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so we had just, uh, we had a newborn, Jack, our oldest um, at that time. And I remember like looking back and I was like, wow, I was in here for 78 hours. That's ridiculous. So then I scaled it down to 65 and that was a huge win because I wasn't going in on Sundays. That was our win. And then we scaled it down to 40 hours and nothing crazy happened. Um, people still came and they just learned to fit in the 40 hour schedule. And then eventually in uh, 2006, so three years in, I got down to 22 hours of trading a week. And then it just it went down to 15 and then down to 12 and then eventually down to zero over the years. Uh, by 2008 was down to January of 2009 was down to zero hours. So six years in. You're going to have to do that same thing. You control your schedule more than anybody else. And if somebody really wants to see you, they're going to come in when you're available. So I know for my wife, it was really important. She wanted me to be home for dinner every night, that, that we eat dinner as a family. That was important to her. So we made that happen. I have to be home by 5.30 every single night um, and stopped working till 8 o'clock at night. Um, so you, you are, you'll control that more than anybody else. And then, Stuart, I can give you more advanced stuff 
from there. But it starts with the baby step in the beginning is you understanding that you control your schedule. Next question up here. Um, Hirsch. Uh, Hirsch, I'm going to try to unmute you here if I can. Wow, a lot of people on this call. You're popular, Danny. No, I can't hear you. Sound is out. Uh, let, let me see if I can. I got, it. I got it. Danny, you're unmuted. I, I think I'm unmuted too, right, Chad? Hirsch, you are unmuted. Danny's unmuted. We just can't hear him. Okay. Danny, just can log he back hear out. us? Log back out and log back on. Okay. 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 We'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait for him. Go ahead, Hirsch. Go ahead. Okay. So, uh, so you know, I, I have a guy that I put in a in a in a in a clinic director position, and uh, you know, I've gone through the, you know, showing him how to do it. Uh, you know, looking at metrics and kind of all those all the duties that I want him to handle. Uh, and, uh, we, we entered the coaching phase of it, but I continually find myself telling him that he needs to do it. Like, uh, it's almost like he's not, he's not doing it until I tell him to do it. You know, he's not, he hasn't, he's not taking the bull by the horns and like, I'm telling him to do it and I'll tell him to do it again. And at some point I say, you know, I want you to do this kind of automatically as opposed to, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, waiting for me to ask you to do it. And, uh. And it, uh, it's just not happening now. He, he's also treating for, uh, he's also treating for, uh, you know, 40 hours a week. Uh, and, uh, I've, I've, I'm backing that down. Actually, I'm backing that down a little bit, uh, and trying to, trying to give him some time to kind of accomplish these tasks. Uh, but, uh, but, but he's not, I, basically, I feel like at some point I got to say, you know what, it's just not getting done. I think I made a wrong decision. Uh, and, and I'm just wondering how you, how you handle that. Have you ever had to handle that? situation and how you did it yep and i think i'm unmuted now too so good timing <laughs> yep i got you <laughs> um okay so this is a great question this is actually something on a session that we teach which is more around conflict management so it's it's realizing that when skill isn't the issue it's actually commitment and it's so deep rooted in the person that it's they're they're probably just not listening to anything you have to say no matter what you say or know how, how hard you bark um, you need to you need to do this. So it's very simple, very simple process, but it's something that I think people overlook, especially when they're busy. Call them up and say, hey man, like I know we've been going through this for a while now. I know that you've been kind of like not fully taking it all on, but I really want to take some time just to chat with you and just see where you're at, to see where your head's at, see how you're doing. Um, I just want to check in. So nothing to do with training or anything. Um, why don't we go grab a beer or grab a coffee or whatever it is outside of the office and just hang out, right? So get them out of the office, get them out of like the, the environment that he's always in. And, um, and just this one key phrase I always use is seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. So just take some time to listen, like <clears throat> what's going on? How's your life? How's family life? How's, how's work life? Like how's, how, what's your journey been like since we've started this together? Where, what's been the highs? What's been the lows? Like get into it with him and, and unravel him. He might be defensive at first. He might give you just surface level answers at first, but really try and uh, you know, open him up and even like, like let him know, like, I'm, I'm just here to listen. Like I want to support you. Like, this is just a chance for you and I to just ch chat, like, person to person. You know, not boss to employee, like, just human to human. Like, just tell me what's going on. And really hear him out. And and don't take any time to, like, think through what you're going to say next or, like, hear him out and be like, yeah, but, like, don't interrupt him. Just let him talk. Um, he may say things to you that might be hard to hear. Um, he might say things to you that you feel are extremely wrong. Um, but just listen to what he's really saying. And what you're trying to do is you're not trying to solve the problem itself. Don't even focus as much on like when you show up late or when you don't listen to us doing this or whatever. Just think through like, like where is their common ground between what he really wants and needs and is seeking and what I really want and need and am seeking. And is there common ground between the two of us that we could focus on? And so when you've heard him kind of speak, say what he's saying, just repeat back what you're hearing. Help him feel heard. It's like, cool, man. Like what I hear you saying is, you know, life at home has been kind of crazy. You know, you're not making as much money as you thought you were, whatever it is. And it's frustrated you and you're trying to find, you know, an avenue to, to do better, but you're just, you're too overwhelmed to, to really focus on any of the stuff we've been talking about or whatever it is. It's like, he'll feel heard. Like, and he'll be like, yeah, man, like that's exactly what's going on. Then ask for permission to say your side of things. And this isn't a time to attack him or make him feel like less of a person. Um, this is a time for you to use a statement that we always kind of give you. It's, it's basically it's like a when you, I feel because. So when you do this, I feel this because of this. And help him really hear what you're saying. 
And the fact that you spent time in the beginning listening to him, understanding what's going on in his world, and then asked and then gave him like feedback on what you're hearing and then asked for permission to to tell your side of things, he might actually hear you for the first time in a long time. And what you're doing is you're not, again, you're not trying to like diminish him. You're trying to help him and, and you see where there's some common ground. And that's where the conversations start to lead from there forward. It's, you know, where do we both, what, are, where, what do we both have common interests in that we can work towards together? You know, it sounds to me like you really want to, you know, make more money in your job or you really want to feel whatever X, Y, Z secure so you can support your family. And I really want that for you too. And it sounds like you've really built this thing up in your mind that you're going to be fired every Tuesday because you're not learning this one task. And like, I don't want that. And I've put a lot of work into you and I want to see you do well. And it sounds like just insecurity is stopping you from learning or whatever, whatever it is. It's like, how do, how do we as a team work together on that and team up with the guy? You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've never considered myself to be a boss <clears throat> or an owner of a company. I've considered myself to be a coach of people. And if my player is struggling mentally somehow, because it's a big mental game, how can I help him? by finding common ground with him and teaming back up with them. Because somewhere in there, the team, the teaming, the teaming up with this person either didn't happen or, or stopped happening. And they felt like they're off on their own, on their own island. And you need to bring them back in from that. So it's more of a commitment issue than a skill issue, it sounds like. And that's when I, when I have commitment issues, that's how I kind of manage it. Get them out of the office, seek first to understand them, then seek to be understood, followed by finding common ground. Okay, I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no worries. What Danny said. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's good. All right. So um, while I'm scrolling through here, it, Eddie, I know um, we had, so in the reminder on this phone call, we had um, an announcement. If you can put in the link, if you can grab the link for the, uh, we have a lot of people asking about the, the product X wait list and what's going on there. If you can put that link in here, that'd be great. And then we're going to take one more question. Um, here's a good one. This is from Betsy. Let's see if we can unmute Betsy. Betsy, I, I'll just read your question. We have about three minutes left here. I'm in the early stages of my business development and need that jack of all trades. Maybe unfair, but I am seeking someone who has lots of skill in many areas right now. Can you speak to this stage of starting a business and needing that person to be a jack of all trades and then moving to specific tasks for different people as the business grows? Mm. I, I, I'll just start with from experience. That's not that it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I, I've never seen it work like that, but yeah, pe people, I mean, everybody running a business has this like, dream idea that they're going to, they have all these things on their plate and they're like, man, I just want to throw it on you. You're my perfect person, right? And the, the employee looks at you like a deer in the headlights being like, uh, what have I gotten myself into, right? So um, in the interview, people will promise the world and they'll kind of say yes to whatever you are looking for because they're trying to get a job. But in reality, most people can't do what you do and that's why you're the person running the business, not them. And by expecting an employee to take it on like you take it on and to learn as fast as you've learned and to be as dynamic as you are um, is expecting too much. And you're going to constantly find yourself riddled with disappointments. But here's what I would do. I would sit down on, I do an Excel, you can do it on a piece of paper if you'd like, but write down all the things that you do in a day, everything. And circle the things that take up the most time and are the lowest skill. And they'll kind of, a lot of them will kind of have a lot in common, like whether it may be high, a lot of administrative stuff, it could be a lot of actually just doing the, the actual physiotherapy work in and of itself, it could be a few different things. And whatever that thing is, either by via a system, a person, or a subcontractor, those are your three opportunities to find a way to replace that out of your schedule. Because there's things that you as an entrepreneur are naturally great at, which somebody else you know, is not, and there's things that you naturally suck at that somebody else is probably great at. And instead of trying to find someone who's great at all things, find somebody who's really good at the opposite stuff that uh, you're not good at, and make that your first addition to the team. Love it. <clears throat> awesome. I I'd ask you for parting words of wisdom, but uh, you, you nailed us with some major stuff here. I, I love the uh, seek first to understand and seek to be understood. Um, Betsy says, excellent answer. Thank you. Also, Elizabeth said, uh, I have to go, but the session has been really helpful. Thank you, uh, Danny. So awesome job, everybody. Eddie did get the link in there for you for um, the Product X waitlist. Other reminders, 
Um, well, first, Annie, you killed it again. I was going to have the uh, what's the arc called? I just blanked. The transition out. curve. Transition <laughs> curve. I I had a, a version of that. I was looking for a good uh, Google image of that, but uh, you crushed it here. This was uh, even better than that. So you just keep amazing me. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I wish I was as far as you were when I was 31. That would be, uh, that would have been cool, but, um, uh, very appreciative, uh, other reminders and, uh, everybody send Danny, he's going to post his address. So make sure, do you know what you're having a boy or a girl? Uh, we're supposed to have found out last week, but they had their arms, legs crossed. Uh, So I know. It's supposed to be my Christmas present. But <laughs> I gotta wait a little longer. So now both, uh, you, you'll, you'll have to get a unisex present, so green and yellow, <laughs> or uh, maybe you can get both uh, blue and pink. And uh, make sure you mail it to Danny. Danny, thanks for doing this, um, very much. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, thanks everybody. It's good. It's awesome. Cool. Um, as always, this was recorded. This um, will be posted. And that's funny. So Betsy, uh, not sure why you were calling me Betsy. It shows up as Betsy Maxwell on my end. Um, so uh, Melanie, uh, Carlone, uh, maybe uh, we can get Eddie to help solve that. Other reminders, um, the third Tuesday of next month, January, will be our next Inside Circle call. Um, we do have the uh, Wealth Building webinar this Friday. Uh, that's December 22nd at 12 noon. And also uh, update on, and for that, we already have 139 people registered. And then for boot camp in Atlanta, I believe we have 249. I'm not sure how much more room um, we have available for that. Speaker on Friday is me, Stephanie, for the, for the webinar. Thanks again, everybody, for being on the call. It was recorded. It'll be posted in your portal. Thanks. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.